How's it going? Good to see you. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the opportunity to share from God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 20. Um, I'm actually really excited about Hope Week. We are kicking off today. We actually have two projects today. Um, we're housing a bunch of homeless tonight and serving them dinner and breakfast in the morning. Um, we're also serving at a school this afternoon in the pouring rain. So we're going to figure that out. Probably be doing some things inside. But if you haven't signed up, you can still sign up on the website. And we would love to have you partner with us. We actually um, did the math and as of this morning, we have almost right at 700 hours that are going to be served this week by our church. So come on, somebody. Let's give God some praise. Incredible. And uh, thank you guys for being willing to release hope all around this city this week. We have all these projects going. Um, I think 13 projects throughout the week. So it's going to be an amazing time. But, hey, I am closing out our change series today. Everybody say change. Closing out this change series, the tagline behind the series is changing how I see what's been given to me. We've all been given things. God has blessed us. He's given us, us things. He's given us our inheritance. We talked about that the first week. The second week we talked about time. He's given us time. We've been given talent. And uh, what we've been wanting to do in this series is change how we see these things. Because I think the world would try to tell us, our culture would try to tell us that this is how we should see all this stuff that's been given to us, all this stuff that we have. But we want to see it in a different way. We want to see it God's way. And so today, I get to talk to you about changing how I see my purpose. Everybody say purpose. I'm excited to kick today off. When I was uh, in college, I went to a Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, my joke is I call, always called it misery instead of Missouri. But then I met my wife there. So then it became paradise. Um, para, para. Anyway, so um, I went to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri, though. It was a, a school called Central Bible College. And I got there and I started getting to know people. Started getting to know a lot of the um, young people there. But specifically a lot of the young guys. Uh, you know, I, I was building relationships, making friends. And so I'd ask them their story. And get to know their story a little bit. And so it was interesting. I would say like one in three of the guys that I would meet and talk to them about their story, they all had a similar story. And it went like this. I had a scholarship to play fill-in-the-blank sport at a college, but I gave it up to come to Central Bible College because I felt the call of God on my life to be a pastor. And, man, that sounded amazing. Like, I was like, my goodness, like, praise God, you gave that up. Like, wow, what a sacrifice. Like, that's incredible. The thing was, then I started playing sports with these same guys. I started playing in intramurals and playing pickup and, and playing football and basketball and baseball and soccer. And as I watched them and played with them, I said, ain't nobody offered you a scholarship to play that sport. You just came to Bible college, maybe God called you, but you did not give up something, you just came for this, because come on now, once I saw him play, I'm like, please, y'all are tripping, okay, and so, you know, I'm just keeping it real here, but I think that the reality was for them, it made them feel like this purpose or this call was something greater because they'd given up something. Not only that, but we always want other people to see our purpose or our call as something greater, don't we? We want people to perceive us better, um, in a better light, in a better way. And so we might make up stories such as 
I had a Division I scholarship to play this sport, even though obviously you didn't. Purpose is a path to meaning, isn't it? Purpose is a path to meaning. When we have our purpose, we find our meaning. But here's the thing about purpose is purpose is a means to an end. Did you hear that? Purpose is a means to an end. Purpose is not the end. Purpose is the means to the end. The problem is that most people, and in today's world, in today's culture, we see our purpose as the end. We see me, I, my purpose, what I'm going to do, my call as the end, rather than the means to the end. If you're the end, you cannot be the means. And if you aren't the means, then you aren't truly walking out or fulfilling or living out a purpose. So today, most of us and a lot of us and a lot of people in this world have gotten caught up and, and deceived in thinking that our purpose and me and I is the end. Rather than our purpose is the means. So we have to answer the question of what is the end. Living true purpose means you must become a means to an end. And the end is not you. Living true purpose means you have to become a means to an end that is not you. So I think we need to stop asking this question of what is my purpose. Because that's what most people ask. I get asked that question the most of any question, like what is my purpose or what is my call? What's God's will? When you stop asking this question of what is my purpose, we start, need to start asking the question, who is my purpose? That is the better question. Not what is my purpose, but who is my purpose? Because when we ask the question, what is my purpose, we often see our purpose as the end. But when we ask the question of who is my purpose, that becomes the end. They become the end, and my purpose becomes the means. So I want you to think about right now your, or what is the end? Because right now you're going, okay, like I need to figure out my purpose. And I understand now you're saying that my purpose is the means, but what's the end? And I want you to hear because first and foremost, we all have one end as followers of Jesus Christ. And I understand not everyone in here is a follower of Jesus. We're so glad you're here. You're welcome here. One thing we say, you don't have to believe to belong, meaning um, you can belong here even if you're on the faith journey trying to figure out if you believe or what you believe. You're welcome here. But we do believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So here's what the end is for us as followers of Christ. The end is twofold. It's people meeting Jesus. That is all of our end. That has to be the end. And we have to see, we got to change how we see all the things we have as these things or this stuff. Everything we do is a means to the end of helping people meet Jesus. Helping people meet the Jesus that we know and we serve and we love. Because Jesus came to give us the best life, the fullest life, Jesus said, to give us a full life right now. Not only that, but he gives us an eternal life. So there's no better end than introducing people to Jesus. People meeting Jesus. That is our end. But within that, we all have other purposes. So what's happened in this culture and the reason people feel unfulfilled in their purpose is because we have, let's say, for instance, we have some real estate agents in here. If we perceive that our goal as a real estate agent 
is to make as much money as possible off of all the people that are buying the, these houses, then we've made ourselves the end. But if we change our perspective, and so that's how most people are living, and then they wonder why they don't feel fulfilled and why they're making all this money and they feel like they have no purpose. But if we change our perspective as a real estate agent and we say, you know what, my, the end is that I would help people find a home. That's the end. I'm the means. I am helping people, people finding a home. That's the end. So you all are going to have a very unique and specific journey and story that you live within your purpose. But I want you to hear this because our purpose is kind of twofold. We all have one purpose as followers of Christ, which is to point people, to help people meet Jesus. And we are the means to that. That's why Jesus said, you're my hands and feet. Jesus had one plan. Plan A is the church. There's no plan B. You and I are plan A. There's no plan B. That's why we must go out and be a light in the darkness. Be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ because we are the means to the end of people meeting Jesus. But within your own purpose, you have to change your perspective in the specific things that God has called you to do to where you say, you know what? No, I'm going to see myself as a means and I'm going to live for an end that is honorable and noble and honoring to God. But the world would try to make your end something that's about you. Yourself and your own flesh is going to try to make the end something that's about you. And if your purpose is if you try to make your purpose the end, if you try to make you the end, you'll live a purposeless life. Are you with me today? I hope I'm making sense. Let's read. Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 20. Matthew 20, verse 20. I'm going to read through verse 28. This is the story of Jesus um, talks to a woman. This is a mother. She is the mother of the sons of Zebedee. These sons of Zebedee are James and John. Two of the 12 disciples, and they allow their mother to come talk to Jesus for them. We all have crazy moms, right? Um, I know you all have a crazy mom. My crazy mom is here. Hey, mom, good to have you here. She's not crazy. I do remember back in the day, though, when she'd be chewing us out in the house and then answer the phone, hello, Cole residents. Mom, you were really good at that. I'm joking. My mom's amazing. She actually came to hear me preach today. Thanks, mom. She'll tell me how I do afterwards. Okay. Let's read. Matthew 20, verse 20 says this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, being James and John, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said, to, he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, the ten being the ten other disciples, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that it would challenge us today, that we would grow, 
God, that we would be open, our hearts would be open to hear and to receive what it is you want us to receive. And we begin to see ourselves, our purpose, as a means to the end that you've called us to live out. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said. So today, I want to talk to you about purpose. And purpose being found when we embrace being a means to an end. Here's what Andy Stanley said. He said, those who devote themselves to themselves will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. But if you don't devote yourself to more than yourself, you will ultimately have more than yourself to show for yourself. Isn't that good? Because I think that a lot of us have devoted ourselves to ourselves. And we wonder why we have nothing to show for ourselves but ourselves. And we're going, why, why is this all I have to show? Because we've only been devoted to us. But when you devote yourself to more than yourself, you'll have more than yourself to show for yourself. And that's the kind of purpose that I want to talk to you about today. So I have three ideas to become a means to an end. I know some of you are still like, I don't know how I feel about this means to an end thing, Caleb. Let's go. Three ideas to become a means to an end. Number one, look at everything you're doing through the lens of means. You see, this passage is about the mother and the sons. And I want to kind of set this up to give us some better context so we can properly understand um, the text. We need context to understand the text. So here, the sons of Zebedee, um, James and John, are two of the disciples. They were brothers, obviously. Now, these two were two of the three who were closest to Jesus, so if you read in the Gospels, you see that Jesus often retreated, and he would retreat, and he would always bring three, or often bring, sometimes he went alone, but he would also travel with more of the time than the full 12, he would travel with three, or he'd retreat with three, and they were Peter, James, and John. These were the three closest to Jesus. So these two sons who come and ask this question are two of those who were closest to Jesus. Now, these brothers got a nickname from Jesus. And how many of you love nicknames? You got a nickname? Anybody got a nickname in here? So, like, I had some nicknames in college. I had some nicknames um, in, in high school. When I was in college, and I shouldn't tell you this because some of you might now call me this, but um, when I was in college, so I played basketball in college four years. And my first year, my freshman year, we're playing against our rival. So Central Bible College and Baptist Bible College. We hated the Baptists, okay? So if you're a Baptist in here, we're, we're glad you're here. Um, <laughs> some of you are recovering. But I, I remember the Baptists and then Central Bible College, Baptist Bible College, Central Bible College, we played against a big rivalry game. It was huge. My first game ever against Baptist Bible College, I'm bringing the ball up the court. Now, you got to understand, like, my hair is naturally very curly. And back in the day, I had, like, a crazy curly afro. And I would, like, gel it up, man, and it was just shiny and curly, and it was massive. And I'm bringing the ball up the court, and they started chanting. All the stands, the fans on the other team, they started chanting. They started chanting, Jerry Curl, Jerry Curl. They chanted it the entire game, every time I touched the ball. And for four years, I'm not making this up, for four years, every time we played them, we played them usually twice a year, Every time we played them, every time I touched the ball, they chanted Jerry Curl the entire game. Every time. 
it got to the point where I'd go out places and people from that college would be out at restaurants and be like, hey, Jerry Curl, and like, like, say this to me. And so it became this joke, right? Everyone thought it was hilarious. And then the last two games of my senior year, we played against them. I dropped 35 and 32 on them. They didn't think it was so funny anymore. So, and we won both games, but I'm not trying to brag or anything. But I think, I think it's cool. I love nicknames, right? I love when people give nicknames. And um, Jesus gives these two brothers a nickname. And it's the Greek word we have, which is bonergis. Boanerges is the Greek word. And uh, they spelled it wrong, but that's okay. We're, it's close. Benergis. No, it's boanerges. I don't know why that's funny, but it is. So this is a Greek word. It's a Greek word, and this is actually the only place that we find this word in Scripture. The only place we find it in all of Scripture, New Testament, Old Testament, the only place. And this word, it was something that actually theologians and um, translators had a hard time translating because it was found nowhere else, and so they had to do a lot of research and study, and they finally figured out that this word means sons of thunder. Talk about an epic nickname. So Jesus would call these two brothers, James and John, the sons of thunder. Now, the reason he gave them this nickname, um, we believe, based on the text that we see in different stories about James and John, is because they were always out there, like, causing thunder, like, causing problems, doing crazy stuff. In fact, this is one of those moments where they go, hey, mom, how about you go talk to Jesus for us and ask him if we can sit on his right hand and left hand in his kingdom in heaven. Like, that sounds like a good idea. He has to rebuke them. The other instance that we see in Scripture is they're actually trying to go into a, a city, a town in Israel, and the people of the town reject Jesus. They won't let Jesus come in. They're like, no, you can't come in. We don't want you to come in. Um, you need to leave. And they try to make Jesus leave. And so Jesus says, all right, let's go. We're going to go to the next town. And James and John go to Jesus. They say, Jesus, let us call down fire from heaven and burn these people alive. And Jesus rebukes them and says, no, chill out like sons of thunder. <laughs> Chill out, sons of thunder. Um, we're going to go on to the next, the next town. We're not going to, like, burn these people, okay? We're not going to do that. And so he corrects them. So these are the people. And I think we need to understand this just to understand, like, man, you know that Jesus sometimes, and being close to Jesus, being near Jesus, even when you're close to Jesus, there are still times you need to get rebuked by Jesus. How many of you know that? I mean, I love that I'm close to Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. I know a lot of you in here are close to Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. But even when you're close to Jesus, there's times you need to get rebuked by Jesus. You need to get a gentle slap upside the head. It's in love, but whap, like, come on, straighten out. Like, I got a better, I got something better for your life. That's not how you're supposed to be living. The problem is I think a lot of us, we get rebuked by Jesus, rebuked by God, and, and we get corrected, even though the Bible tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves. And we get disciplined, we get corrected, and we think, I'm a failure. God can't use me. I got nothing God can use, but let me, let, I want you to hear me in this. These were two of the closest people to Jesus. He rebukes them on multiple occasions, and yet he keeps them right next to him. You know what God is looking for? He's just looking for some passionate people. And I know your passion may be misdirected at times. It may be misled. But when you fail, when you fall, when you mess up, when you get a gentle correction from God, when he speaks to you, when he rebukes you, don't feel like you have been discounted. God still has a plan for your life. God's still going to use your life. God still has great things in store for your life and you can still be very close to Jesus and you get rebuked by Jesus at times. 
So be encouraged today because we all probably been corrected even this week. I know I have. Since purpose is a means to an end, anytime you make an end a means, you embrace purpose. So we have to have this idea of looking at everything we're doing through the lens of means. If we begin to look at everything we're doing through the lens of means, then we see that God is actually helping us fulfill our purpose in everything we're doing. Romans or Proverbs 23, 26 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. I'm wrong here. Romans Chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Purpose is always found just across the border from what's in it for me. It's close. It's close. But it's just across the border of what's in it for me. And if you are going to live this kind of life, if you're going to look at everything you do through the lens of means, you have to change, as I just read, you have to change your mind. You have to renew your mind. You have to change the way you think. That's how you're going to walk out God's will. You're going to understand God's will. You're not going to be conformed to the patterns of this world. This world wants you to see your life, everything you do, as the end. That you're the end, that you're the goal, that you are the purpose. But God wants us to see what we do, everything that we have, everything that he's given us as a means to his end. That is how we walk out our true purpose. We have to change our mindset. We have to renew our minds. You know, this mother, the sons of Zebedee, actually thinks she saw herself as a means. She was like, I will be the means to my son's end. So that they can be on the right hand, left hand of God. The problem was, the problem was that they saw themselves as the end. That them being at the right and the left of Jesus was the most important thing, that that was their purpose. And because they saw themselves as that, God had to rebuke them. And I think many of us in this room, maybe right now, God is rebuking us or speaking to us or correcting us because we had to be honest. We have seen ourselves and our purpose as the end. And we've wondered why we feel purposeless or why we feel unfulfilled. It's because we have to renew our mind. We have to change our way of thinking. We have to look at everything we're doing through the lens of means, that we are a means to the end that God has, that we would lead people to meet Jesus. So in two weeks, December 10th, we do this, at, we do this every year. We do an end-of-the-year offering. Where we encourage our church to bring like an end of the year offering to the Lord, um, to give like a final, a final gift, to sacrifice. We say like plant your seed in good soil. We believe this church is good soil. We believe what God is doing here is good. And we believe that when we come together and, and, and give that God can do great things. This week is going to cost us money, right? Hope Week, we are sacrificing as a church. We're giving financially to a lot of these projects. That's why we're going to do this offering, to help cover some of that cost. Not only that, but in this new year, we have some new things that we need to do in the church. That's what this money is going to go towards as well. Also, we're going to give some of this money away to several nonprofits. In fact, we just gave last week City of Refuge $10,000, which was amazing. Thank you for your generosity. But... They actually have a couple houses that we're going to be updating this week. And we decided, you know what? We want to do these updates in their houses, but we want to do it above and beyond what we've already given them. So this offering on December 10th is going to go to offset some of those costs. We're going to send, probably spend between two to $3,000, I think my wife told me, to update some of these homes for these girls who are being rescued out of trafficking. And so we're going to do above and beyond what we've already given of the $10,000. So 
December 10th, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be praying. We're calling it the Seeing Jesus Offering. Because we're kicking off a series next week called Seeing Jesus about the Christmas season. We're going to go through the stories of Christmas, the stories of Jesus' birth, and see Jesus and, and see what, what worship is released when we see Jesus in our lives. So I want to encourage you, December 10th, come ready to give, to give sacrificially. Why do we do this? Because it's a means to an end that people would meet Jesus, that we would release hope in this world. We're doing a big event on December 17th, a big production, Christmas production. You need to come. You need to bring everybody with you. It's going to be amazing. We're, going to, we're believing that God is going to do incredible things, that people are going to meet Jesus that day in this room. So I want, to, I want to challenge, I want to encourage you that you would see, man, even what God has given you as a means to the end of helping people meet him. And so come December 10th ready, man, just two weeks. Come ready to give, to, sac to give sacrificially. Second today, idea to become a means to an end is pay attention to what stirs your heart. You know, purpose is often found at the intersection of a broken heart opportunity, and skill. I really believe that. Purpose is found in that intersection. Man, what breaks your heart? What opportunities are in front of you? And what skill do you have? That's where we often find our purpose. But let me tell you something else. Purpose has a price. Walking out your purpose and walking out your passion has a price. It really does. Verse 22, Jesus is speaking to these brothers, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, James and John. And he says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. You see, they didn't understand. Jesus knew they didn't understand what he was talking about. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said, we are. And he's like, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You don't even know what the cup is. In fact, the disciples often rebuked Jesus when he said he had to die. They're like, no, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. That can't happen. You're the Savior. You can't die. And so he says to them, here, are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? They say we are. And then he actually says to them, you know what? You are. And you will. They didn't get it. But let me tell you, we get it now. Because James was the first disciple martyred for his faith, and John was the last of the 12 disciples martyred for his faith. So they did eventually drink that same cup that Jesus drank, but they didn't get it at the time. How many know that passion and purpose has a price? It has a price. You know, I, I want to ask you, are you truly willing to pay the price for your passion, for your purpose? I mean, a lot of people come to me and, and they say, hey, like, Man, I have this passion. I have this purpose. I feel like God's calling me to do that. I'm I feel like God's calling me to do this. And every time, like, the thing that goes through my head is, are you willing to pay the price? Because if you're going to truly walk that out, walk out that purpose, walk out that passion, it's going to cost you something. And so today, I, I mean, this isn't like the most encouraging thing to ever hear. But I want you to think about what stirs your heart. Because if you're going to walk out the fullness of the purpose and the passion that God is stirring in your heart, it's going to cost you something. And I say it's not encouraging because that sounds like, oh, man, like I'm going to have to sacrifice. Yeah, but let me tell you, that sacrifice will be more than worth it. What it costs you here on earth will pale in comparison to the reward that you have in heaven. 
I believe it will pale in comparison to the reward you'll even receive here on earth. And it's not going to be monetary reward. It's not always going to be notoriety. It's not always going to be a platform. But what it will be is you saying, I am walking out the fulfillment and the fullness of the purpose that God has given me. Where you know you're exactly where God wants you. You know you're exactly where God placed you. There is no better place to be. So pay attention to what stirs your heart. Here's what Alfred Meyer said. He's a theologian. He said this, but these men, being Peter, James, and John, they slept in Gethsemane forsook the master when he was arrested, and one of them at least failed him at the cross. We can only follow Christ in his cup and baptism after we have been endued with the Spirit. I wanted you to hear that because I want you to hear this, that the Spirit of God comes upon us when we know Jesus. And the reason they weren't ready, the reason they failed. The reason they failed is because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit had not come and dwelled within them. That's why Jesus said, you need to wait. But now we have that opportunity to receive the Spirit. So when you know Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit comes upon you. And let me tell you something. He will give you all the strength you need and all the power you need to walk out the purpose and the passion that he has for you. But it's still going to cost you something. There's still going to be a price to pay. You know, when we start a project church, um, my wife and I, we, we decided that we were going to plant a church in downtown Sacramento. Felt like God was calling us here, feeling like there hadn't been a new church in downtown Sacramento in so long. And so we decided to, to do this, and we knew it was going to be a six-month process. We also felt like God told us to sacrifice in those six months. I felt like God told us, you're not going to receive any income during those six months. And so for six months, you know what we did? We traveled, and we preached, and we raised money for this church. For six months, we raised money, and we raised over $200,000 to help plant Project Church five, almost five years ago. So it wasn't like there wasn't money in the bank. It wasn't like there wasn't money in the church's bank account. But my wife and I felt like God told us, you need to sacrifice because if there's passion and there's purpose, you got to pay the price. And so for six months, we took no income. For six months, I watched our bank account, because we had all this money in savings, I watched it go down lower and lower, deplete lower and lower and lower, until literally on our opening Sunday, we had practically zero dollars in our bank. Zero dollars. And that same time, that same week, our board, our elder board came to me and said, Caleb, are you willing to receive a salary from the church? The church launched strong. The church launched healthy. We were running over 200 right off the bat. And money, people were being faithful and giving. Plus we had money in the bank. And the church leadership said, are you willing to receive a salary? And I finally felt like God said, you can receive. You paid the price. You sacrificed. You were obedient. You were faithful. And I can stand here and tell you my wife and I have never gone without since that day. We've never gone without in our marriage. We've never gone without food in our bellies, a roof over our heads, clothes on our backs. Why? Because God is faithful. If you sacrifice, if you pay the price for your passion and for your purpose, God won't leave you out there on your own. He won't leave you to, to wallow in the wind. God will take care of you every single time. He took care of us and he'll take care of you. So while it will, it will cost you something, if you pay the price, the fulfillment of that purpose and that passion will be more than enough. It'll be more than enough. Being a servant as God has called us to be a servant, will always cost us something. I want to close today 
with the final idea to become a means to an end, which is to surround yourself with on-purpose people. You know, there's an old saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I heard that growing up when I was a kid. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I used to think it was dumb. But let me tell you, there's so much truth to it. Your friends, your circle, your people determine the direction and the quality of your life. It truly determines the direction, the trajectory that you're going to have in your life. So I was, uh, I graduated from college and I took a position in Massachusetts. And I, I lived there for five years. I lived in New England, Massachusetts, man. And my wife joined me. A couple years in there, we got married. But it's something interesting about Massachusetts is they take out letters from words. So people in Massachusetts, like especially near Boston, they, they park the car, they go to Harvard Yard, and everything's like wicked awesome. They're big Boston Red Sox fans. They love, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. They're Southies, right? They're from Boston. And so they take R's out of, out of all these words. Park the car, hop it, But then there's this word, idea. So I lived there for five years and I learned this. This word, idea, they add an R to it. It's bizarre. They don't say idea, they say idea. So you have a great idea, a great idea. And, and, and I was living there and I'm like, this is bizarre. I mean, you, you take R's out of every word and you add an R to idea? Like, who does this? What is wrong with you people? Like, we're from, I'm from Sacramento, man. We speak correctly, okay? We, don't we? Like, come on now. We have proper English, all right? And so I was like, it just tripped me out. And then I found myself, like, the longer I was there, I was like, hey, Hey, park the car over there, huh? Before you know it, everything was wicked awesome. And, and I, I caught myself a couple times saying idea. And that's when I was like, okay, this has to end right now. I just added an R to the word idea. Like, how horrible is that? But it's interesting, isn't it, that we become, around, we become like the people we surround ourselves with. Lived there for five years, man. It started to rub off. I and mean, the next thing you know, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. Couldn't believe it. But let me tell you something right now. We need to surround ourselves with more on-purpose people. Like, do you have people in your life that are living on purpose, that are seeing themselves as a means to an end, not as the end? You see, James and John... They spent a lot of time with Jesus, and they were the sons of thunder, man, because they were out there. They were getting rebuked. They were making mistakes. They were messing up. They abandoned Jesus. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened? Jesus is praying, and they fall asleep. And he wakes them up, and he says, pray with me. They fall asleep again. He wakes them up, and he says, can you not tarry for one hour with me? They fall asleep. These sons of thunder, but it's interesting. You actually go, and James and John wrote some of the New Testament. And John, we see in 1 John, they often call 1 John the book of love. 
So at one point, John was Boanerges, the son of thunder. But we see in the book of John, there's over 40 references to the word, different types of the word love. He writes about love over and over and over again. So we see this while John started out as a son of thunder, he ended up as an apostle of love. Why? Because he was surrounded by Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. When you spend time with the Savior, when you spend time with Jesus, something begins to change in your life. Something begins to change in your verbiage. Something begins to change in your actions. Something begins to change in your words. Something begins to change in your spirit. Are we spending time with the Savior? If we're going to live out the purpose and we're going to be a means to an end, we got to live it out being close to Jesus. Purpose is found when we embrace being a means to an end. Jesus saw himself as a means to an end. He did. Jesus himself saw his, himself as a means to an end. Here's what happened in that Garden of Gethsemane. When he's trying to get the, the apostles, he's trying to get James and John and Peter to pray with him, and they can't stay awake. It says that he was praying, and, and he was so distraught that he was sweating blood. And as he's sweating blood, he says something to, G, to God, to his Father. He says, God, if it's possible... Remove this cup from me. The same cup he talked to James and John about. He says, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But then he followed this up with a, with a phrase and he said, yet not my will, but your will be done. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Why did he say this? Because he saw that he was a means to an end. What was the end? That people would be able to come into a relationship with the loving Father, with the loving God. There was only one person that could bridge that gap. That could bridge the gap between man, sinful man, and a perfect God. And his name was Jesus. And he said, I will be the means to that end so that these people can have a relationship, a loving relationship with a God that loves them and created them. Jesus himself saw himself as a means to an end. So are we willing today to see ourselves as a means to an end? You and I, that we would say, Jesus, I, I'm still trying to figure out my purpose. Jesus, I'm still trying to figure out my passion. But no matter what it is, I will live everything I do, everything I say, everywhere I go, I will see it as a means to an end. That people would meet Jesus because I've met Jesus and it's changed everything. Jesus came to be a means to the end so that we could know him and know the Father. Would you bow your heads with me across this place?